0: Episode 211, Ellen Poole, author of the book Network is Not a Verb.
1: I still get embarrassed even just thinking about this mistake. So it's a doozy.
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Ellen, her book, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraben.com slash mistake211. As always, thanks for taking time to listen. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Graven. My guest today is Ellen Poole. She's the author of the new book, Network is Not a Verb. It's uh, it's available now. Um, Ellen teaches people at all levels of their careers effective strategies to build networks and nurture relationships for professional success. So we'll have a chance to explore um, a lot of that here today. Ellen graduated from the George Washington University Law School. She became the fourth woman in U.S. history to be chosen as CEO of a state bankers association in Arizona, and she was named by the Phoenix Business Journal as one of its 10 most influential people under 40. More recently, Ellen spent uh, almost 15 years as a multi-state government relations executive for uh, the Fortune 100 company USAA, where she built a professional network spanning the country. So a lot of experiences to tap into here. Ellen, thank you for joining us. How are you?
1: I am great. It's wonderful to be here, Mark.
0: I'm glad you could uh, join us. Congratulations again on the book. And I I will just comment before asking about favorite mistakes. My gosh, March in Phoenix, March in Arizona. I'm jealous of your weather. I'm sure it's beautiful.
1: Well, I would love to tell you that it was and increase your envy. But sadly, we are having almost the worst weather in March that I remember in the 30 years I've lived here. It's cold.
0: My mistake. (laughs) Well, sorry. normally
1: it would be the other 29 years that I've lived here, you would have been dead on. I don't understand what's happening. I mean,
0: think, I think, I think <laughs> Phoenix, spring training, March, best time of year, but hopefully the summer then doesn't make up for it by being 120 every day this year.
1: Let's keep our fingers crossed.
0: My mistake to even mention that. So, um, <laughs> let's get away from my most recent mistakes, Alan. I would love to hear. From the things you've done in your career, you know, what would you say is your favorite mistake?
1: Well, it's funny, Mark, because in preparing for this podcast, I was thinking about it and I still get embarrassed even just thinking about this mistake. So it's a doozy. So as you mentioned, uh, I went to law school and when I graduated from law school, I moved out to Arizona and got a job at a law firm here. And it was great firm, great people. But I ended up doing the kind of law I wasn't really interested in. And for reasons that are too long to go into right now, there was no opportunity to change. And so after about a year of this, I decided to look for another job. And before I went to law school, after college, I had worked in politics and government relations. And I decided I wanted to go back into that field. So I didn't know very many people. I was new in Arizona, but I had met one guy who was very well thought of in the political arena And he said, you know, I've got a colleague at another company who is looking to hire someone to work with him in government relations. And I'm going to call him up and tell him he needs to meet with you. So this guy did that for me. And I went over to meet the hiring guy and we just hit it off. I wanted to work with him. It was a great job. The job did not require a law degree, so I was somewhat overqualified, but uh, he was excited about the fact that I was coming to this with a law degree. So we had a great meeting, and well, 30 years later, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I got to tell you, I left feeling like I was a sure thing. This was my job. But he did tell me that he was not the final decision maker and that there would be a committee of people who were doing interviews. And I would have to have a committee interview, but it was almost a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, right? Like you've got nothing to worry about. So the day of the interview, I show up in my little Navy suit, which is what we all wore back then for job interviews. Mm -hmm. And I go in and it's set up almost like a congressional hearing. You know how we've seen those on TV. There's a dais up front and these Mm -hmm. nine people are up there and I'm at the little table down front, you know, very formal. I'm a little bit nervous. And uh, the committee starts off by throwing me a softball question. And they asked me, tell us about your good qualities. And before I could think better of it, I replied, how much time do we have? Mm. Mm. The whole thing went south from there.
0: They didn't laugh.
1: They did not laugh. It threw them off the rest of the interview. They weren't hostile. they were too professional for that, but they clearly wrote me off after that first answer. And uh, I did not get the job. This is not a mistake that you tell where there's some great outcome later. There was no great outcome later. I did not get the job. And when I spoke with the hiring guy later, he said, honestly, the committee thought you were flip. And so that was a big mistake. Now I can laugh about it because honestly, I think it was funny. But there was no place for funny in this situation, yeah. and so uh, yeah, massive mistake. Did not get the job. Obviously, every, everything turned out fine with my career later, but mm-hmm. uh, that was it.
0: Oh gosh, um, but I, I, and I don't mean to, well, you know, keep dragging you through that story. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> I appreciate you, um, you know, telling the story. But since you know, I don't know you very well. I mean, was that, I mean, uh, thing in terms of, you know, your personality to, was that sort of, you know, in, in your nature to respond in maybe like kind of an endearing lighthearted way. And it just didn't land.
1: Um, you know, yes, I think it is a little bit. Um, I tend to, to be a little sarcastic, throw in a few jokes. Uh, I also am very concerned about being appropriate. And in fact, there's a whole chapter on that in my book. Um, so you know, and it's interesting, we talk a lot today about authenticity, being who you really are. And I think that can mislead people. I think it can be a mistake to assume that who you are is what's important for every occasion and that your right or need to be authentic trumps every other need in the situation. So uh, that is a little bit who I am. And as I've gotten, obviously, much further in my career and more confident, and I work with people who know me and my professional reputation precedes me, then joking around, I think people might enjoy or it's lighthearted. It certainly hasn't gained me a negative reaction like then. But again, I'm much more judicious about the use of humor and is it appropriate to be uh, lighthearted in a situation that clearly from the circumstance was not lighthearted. It was a very formal setting. Right.
0: So as, I mean, you know, with you being an attorney, you made me chuckle a little bit with your use of the word judicious.
1: <laughs> I can't help myself.
0: <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, I mean, I wonder though, I mean, I, I see what you're saying about that need or desire to be authentic. Shouldn't Trump all else. And like, there's different situations where you've already built relationships with people versus a first impression. Like, I I could see that side of it, but you know, I'm just kind of curious, like, did you ever, did you, how much did you consider like, well, if if they didn't react well to that, how would they react to you? And, you know, was this a, was it somehow a blessing in disguise to, or or, 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 was, or was it just a mistake?
1: Oh, it was just a mistake. I got yeah. to know a lot of those people later because I did go to work in the government relations field in Arizona. Uh, and in fact, became very successful. Um, Possibly more successful than I would have been had that been my first job in the field. But maybe not, you know, one doesn't know and I don't want to rationalize. But no, humor would be perfectly fine. I think the bigger problem, you know, and I've listened to a number of your podcasts, and I know a huge part of what you talk about is what did you learn from the mistake? And, you know, obviously the first takeaway that I think we can all believe in is don't be a smart ass in job interviews. But <laughs> but the the bigger. I don't even want to say lesson. I feel like it was an illustration of what people often do. And, you know, I talked about authenticity a moment ago, but I think a bigger element is empathy. And I think in professional situations, people generally think only about themselves. What do I want from this situation? What do I need from this situation? What's good for me? What's good for my career? How do I get to go home at five? How do I get to do work I want without ever thinking about? what other people need from the situation, the empathy for understanding where the other person or other people are coming from when you interact with them professionally. And it's so interesting because mostly people aren't jerks, right? They think about what their friends want. Nobody hangs out with a friend and insists on having it their way and doing what they want all the time. And yet somehow we get into these professional situations where all of a sudden we have now programmed ourselves or we are programmed to think only about our own needs. And honestly, uh, my book is, in fact, based around building relationships. And while I don't think I even use the word empathy in the book, it really is about an empathetic approach. What does somebody else need out of this relationship? And how can you help both of you get what you need rather than being self-focused? And if I look back at that interview, I honestly didn't walk in there thinking for one second about what that committee needed from the applicants for this job, what they needed from the people doing the job. You know, it wasn't that they couldn't deal with humor, but what they needed was somebody they could count on to take the job seriously and do the job. And I didn't display those traits, even though I had them. And so I think in building networks and building relationships, authenticity is important, not always all the time in your face, but it is important. And the subtitle of my book is how to build relationships authentically, yeah. but empathy is the most important thing. Yeah.
0: And, and that's, that's a great point, Ellen. And thank you for sharing. You 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 read my mind or, you know, I was going to ask about the lessons learned question. I appreciate you, you know, kind of walking us through that and what you said there. I mean, I, another way of framing, maybe in a situation like that, some people would, Use the phrase, let's say, customer focus. If that interview panel was your customer, like you were saying, think through what what. I mean, I think this is a general business situation of thinking like, well, you know, here here's what the customer needs versus here's what I want to do. Um, if that's aligned, great. But it's often just not not aligned. And um, so yeah, I mean, I I don't know if you've run across. Is there a, a, another general lesson? I'm stumbling through an attempt at a question here. Um, kind of that general lesson of thinking of, um, you know, situations uh, where where it benefited you to be more customer focused, even if it wasn't an interview.
1: Uh, oh, well, many. And that is, in fact, why I wrote the book, because I ended up becoming professionally successful entirely due to my network. And you mentioned in your introduction of me that after law school, I moved out to Arizona Uh, I did not know anybody when I got here other than the people at the law firm who had interviewed me and hired me, and then a few other random people that I had met. And yet, after living here for six years, I became the CEO of a major trade association. Or I'm sorry, that was after four years. And after six years, I got named one of the 10 most influential people under 40. So this all came from having built this network that then supported me and built me up and helped me succeed professionally. And so after observing for, you know, all of these years and people want to have relationships, you know, you look at the best sellers out there on building networks, networking, and how to do it. The Wall Street Journal just did a three-part series on networking that you could sign up for and learn how to do it. I mean, it's clearly top of mind for people. And yet the same thread runs through it all. And now as you were searching for a question, I'm searching for an answer because I <laughs> rambled away from the question. No, it's Okay. But I think that um, that it, it, the, the lesson of empathy, and you know, you talk about customer focus. That's great in a sales scenario, but I mean, do you really think of your next door neighbor as your customer? And yet, you have a relationship with that person, and you still think about, you know, what does that person need or want? You know, you might go outside, and my my neighbor and I share a little stand with two mailboxes on it. She cleans her mailbox, and then she cleans mine because we're neighbors and she's doing that for me. So I feel like a customer focus is almost too narrow. Um, in my book, I talk about relationships. The relations you, relationships you have professionally can still have the same characteristics as the relationships you have personally. Yeah. And so it's almost cheating them to say customer
0: focus. <laughs> well, yeah. And you, I, I like the way you said that. It's a subset of that that broader need uh, for for empathy, kind of, you know, fair exchange of um, help and benefit in a networking um, exchange. So I want to come right back to that. We'll talk more about uh, the book, but uh, this is last final follow-up question though, just because I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, from that interview running into people in professional or even social settings, did anyone ever bring that up with you of like, remember
1: the time? No, no one did. And I will tell you that although I ran into those people, And I, especially the guy who I had first met with, who I would have been working with had I gotten that job. And he was never especially warm to me. And as I matured and started having this bigger worldview where I understood that empathy underlay successful relationships, I thought, well, of course he's not warm to me. He probably went to those committee members and said, I've got the perfect candidate found the right person for the job. She's a lawyer. She's this. And then I went in there and embarrassed him Um, instead of thinking about what he needed because he was part of this professional. I didn't have any empathy for his need to not look bad by recommending someone who mouthed off the first chance she got. And so he was friendly, professional, courteous, but we did not have the relationship that we could have. And I think because of that, but no one ever did bring it back up again.
0: Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that and those reflections, um, Ellen. So let's talk more about networking and networking mistakes. And some of this might be other people's mistakes now that, that you've observed or helped people avoid. And, and again, we're joined here by uh, Ellen Poole. Her book is uh, Network is Not a Verb. Um, well, I was going to say also, real quick, if you thought you were making a mistake of wandering around from the question I think I sort of asked. It's okay, right? It's a, it's a conversation. It's not a deposition. How's that? Excellent. Saying this as an engineer myself, not an attorney. But um, so back to um, back to networking mistakes. You know, you, you tell me more. I mean, there's this one where I, I think we've maybe all felt it, and hopefully I've never been on the bad side of this. But like networking, where somebody is only wanting something without offering or trying to at least find something in return. I'm not saying it always, it, I'm not trying to make it a quid pro quo, but just even that offer of like, oh, thanks, you've been helpful. Is there anything I can do for you? That goes a long way, I think, even if the answer is no. What What do you say?
1: Well, I think it does, but it's still transactional. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and it's sort of, I, I always analogize back to friendships, um, you know, hopefully you and your best friend, if you go out to lunch a couple of times and you buy the third time, you're not sitting there going, he better buy this time. You know, we don't tend to think in terms of give and get in our personal relationships. Although sometimes if somebody takes, 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 you may say, I don't want to have a personal relationship with that person anymore. So it's not that we're completely unconscious of it, but it's like you said, it's definitely not a quid pro quo. On the other hand, if you are going into trying to build a relationship and thinking, I need to give this person something since I'm getting something from them, that's just as quid pro quo. You're just holding up your end of the quo. So it doesn't really change the character of it. You're just, you're still thinking about it in that fashion. And in my book, I advocate, well, I talk about there's a core principle underlying the building of professional relationships, and it's really human nature at work. Because think about the people that you would like to have in your network. They're people that you probably think would be of value to you to know. So when you think, oh, I'd like to build my network and have these people. So in my book, it's all about becoming someone of value that other people want to add to their networks. Because when they want to add you to their network, they by definition are in yours. And so, with, I don't. Why I say network is not a verb because I don't really believe in networking. That little activity where you go out and you contact people you don't know and you try to get to know them and you want something from them and maybe if you're evolved on that scale you try to offer something to them. It's still an artificial process. The process that I advocate is adding value for the people you come into contact with, and you don't even have to make deliberate steps to come into contact with them. It can just be people that you come into contact with at work every day. And when I talk about adding value, what I mean is being empathetic, understanding what they need, what the problems they have are, and then doing what you can to solve those problems. Because when you solve problems for other people, they put you in their mental network as a valuable person to know. But to your question about mistakes people make, sometimes people hear me say that, but then they are only willing to give that value to someone they think is going to be important for them. Hmm, let's see, you'd be a good member of my network, so I'm gonna follow her advice and offer value. But that to me is a big mistake, looking out for the important people. And in fact, I devote an entire chapter in my book to this because I feel like it's a huge mistake. First of all, one's own strategic and analytical abilities are not Good enough to know who's going to be helpful or (laughs) beneficial to us next week or next year or 30 years from now. Good point. Your calculation is already inaccurate. It's what you're thinking today at this moment. And then, second, you don't know enough about other people. You don't know where they've been. You don't know where they're going. You only know what they do right at this moment. Or maybe if you've researched them a little bit about them. I much more advocate showing value to everyone. It should be part of who you are and your persona because the people you come in contact with will want to help you and do things for you. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, When I was working at the state legislature, which was the job I got, by the way, instead of the one where I messed up the interview, um, I didn't make enough money. It was state government. And so I decided to do some pet sitting for people. And I found a couple, they were both lawyers. They had two dogs and they traveled a lot. And so I became their dog sitter. And I must tell you that I was a fabulous dog sitter. And uh, 17 years later, after I had left USAA and opened my own consulting business, the dog mom called me. She was had her own law practice by this time. And she had a client hire me. And they became my largest client for two years. And it wasn't based on my fabulous dog sitting abilities. But it was based on my ability to solve problems for her. Because once you solve problems for people in one context, they think you are going to solve them for them in another. So, this was this huge contract. Typically, in the lobbying world, there are bids, you have to do written proposals, none of that. We went to lunch, they hired me, they were my biggest client. And yet, 17 years earlier, when I took the dogs to the park every night instead of sitting by their fantastic backyard pool, I wasn't thinking. Hey, I'm adding these people to my network.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, you, you make a really good point about, I guess you know, uh, you know, it'd be an admirable trait to be described as helpful. Ellen, boy, she's helpful. As opposed to, well, in certain situations, when it benefits her, Ellen's helpful because then, like, that's that's a different word than helpful. So I appreciate you kind of emphasizing that. That that's what I hear you saying.
1: It's true. And, you know, and I think it also goes beyond helpful because some people are helpful, but the people who are really that we really value figure out what we need from a situation, sometimes without us even identifying it ourselves or having to ask. I had a uh, home contractor that I hired. I bought a house that was built in the 70s and it had popcorn ceilings. I don't know if you know what those are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hideous, right? So, hired this guy to come into my house. He came highly recommended, come into my house and spend three days taking down the popcorn ceilings. And I went on a business trip while he did it. It's messy, ugly work. And I got back from the business trip and I was walking him to the front door, did a great job, wrote the check. And we were standing at my front door and I look up and there's the light fixture. And I said, doggone it. I wish I had asked you to leave that down so I could clean it before it went back up there. And he said, I thought you'd want that. So I cleaned it before I put it back. Yeah, you cannot have his name and number. (laughs) right? But this is a person who anticipated this problem, even though it wasn't technically in his job description. I certainly didn't say to him, you know, it'd be really nice if you would do this. I think the greatest value is added by people who solve your problems before you almost realize you have them. Yeah, right. It requires thought. Right, it, it it literally requires empathy because you have to put yourself into the person's shoes. What would I want if I were if I were hiring someone to take right. the popcorn off their ceiling?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to you, you've alluded to it. I was going to ask you about the book title "Network is Not a Verb." There's there's an implied mistake, I think, being alluded to, and I think you've touched on it. That you know, think about networking as a verb. I'm going to go network. Um, it, is 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 part of the point that uh, we should think of a network, our network, as a noun and focus on it that way?
1: Yes, exactly, perfectly. Because I feel like networking, the activities that we have come to think of that are encompassed by that phrase, is an artificial activity. Mm-hmm. You know, did you say I'm going to go make friends today? And then go to some reception or get on LinkedIn and say, will you be my friend? (laughs) And my professional relationships are all people that I also think of as friends. Now, they may not be my closest friends. None of them is going to be the godchild of my parent or to my child, a godparent to my child. But they're still people that I have a relationship with. And I feel like the activities that we think of as networking, they can be very useful professionally. But they're really sales. And if you're looking for a job, it's sales of yourself. You call people up, you get connections, you call them, and it's really just trying to sell your product. And some people might want to buy it if they are in need of your particular product at that time or they know someone who might need it. The better they think your product is, the more people they may help, you know, find out if they want to buy it. Yeah. At the end of the day, if for most people, if they do networking. And they get a job. Two years later, are they even in touch with the people they met Mm -hmm. through that process? It was a sales process. It wasn't a relationship building process.
0: So you led directly into what I was going to ask next. And you mentioned artificial activity. I was going to ask about LinkedIn. And I I think they describe themselves as a networking site, or some people describe it that way. Um, A lot of times, like you said, it, it feels like a sales platform. But do you you have any advice for making the best use of LinkedIn in terms of your network?
1: Well, I think that LinkedIn is very useful for a real network in one way. Um, So I'll back up again and say something that I think is a mistake that is advocated for by networking experts all the time, including in that Wall Street Journal series I told you about. And I love the Wall Street Journal Um, but I felt they were so misguided in this series. Uh, The idea that once you have people in your network, you're supposed to regularly keep in touch with them somehow. And you're supposed to categorize the people and then identify a timeline on which you will keep in touch quarterly or monthly or weekly. But again, empathetically, do you really want to hear from all these people you don't on a regular basis? Because what do you have to do then? You have to respond you have to say something. If they want to have coffee, I mean, I bet you don't have enough time to do the things you already have to do. Sure. And so, and if you're on the receiving end and quote unquote important person that everybody wants to meet, you've got a number of people who are diligently following this networking rule and trying to set up coffee with you so they can check off, I did my (laughs) name
0: Right, what they need.
1: Right, exactly. It's back to what they need without thinking about What is the impact on you of yet another email or yet another coffee date? How many half hours in life do we have? So, But to your question about LinkedIn, while I don't feel that it's important to regularly keep up with people in your network, because the reality is you have added value for them. That's why you're in their network. That's why they're in yours. I haven't used the guy who did my ceiling in five years. He's still valuable to me. If I needed help, he doesn't have to email me to make sure I'll hire him. Um, So, the important thing though is that your network members know what you're doing in the time that you're not in contact. And that's where I feel like LinkedIn can be helpful. It's information about what you're doing, what you're up to. It keeps people aware of the fact that you're continuing to succeed. And when you are, that kind of confirms their good judgment and having you in their network Mm. in the first
0: place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's a couple different reasons and I'm trying to think through, I'm a pretty heavy LinkedIn user. Um, There's, you know, this question of sharing, you know, different types of posts, sharing an update. I try to make sure uh, a majority of what I'm posting is something I think might be of value to others, an article that they would also enjoy or something that, is is at least you know interesting in some way as opposed to I mean I'm sure we all know somebody I'm certainly not going to name names here but you know we all, all know somebody where every single post is about my books my books buy my books these are my books my books are the best blah blah like it's exhausting
1: yes I yes. didn't mean to
0: get off in a rant there sorry <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I am I am thinking of somebody very specific and I'm not going but I will shut up now, please.
1: <laughs> and note to sell, how many posts have I put on my LinkedIn about my book, my book, my book? Because oh. it's funny. I was never, I mean, I built this network. Right. I haven't, Mark, I haven't had to apply for a job since 1993. Back in that whole circumstance, every right. job I've had has been people coming to me saying, please come work for us. And when I started my own business, I had left USA and didn't know what I was going to do. And potential clients called me and said, Would you go into business for yourself? Because we really want to hire you. So I have not had to go through that whole thing in years. And yet, until I wrote a book and realized I needed to get it out there, I think I had less than 100 LinkedIn connections. I just didn't bother with it. And then I became a salesperson trying to sell my book and trying to get speaking engagements. And uh, suddenly LinkedIn became more important to me. And so I have fallen into that category, but I promise you I will not do only my book, my book, my book. So number that's number one, a mistake well, I will not make.
0: Well, I I I just want to make sure I was not referring to you. I am not policing your LinkedIn account. I shouldn't be policing anybody else's. And and as somebody who has written books and has a new book coming out in a couple of months, myself, I want to, I'll I'll check and make sure I'm not doing that um myself. So yeah.
1: We can have a mutual agreement, but I appreciate it's also a great way to find experts, you know, so it's sales, but it's more, uh, for example, I'm a member of the Bar Association, of course, and every year there's one bar magazine, one month's bar magazine devoted to people who have certifications in different areas of law, and I save that. So I feel like LinkedIn also serves the purpose. And so the more articles you post, the more knowledgeable you appear. Now, is it going to make people do things for you? No. You know, they have to hire you or work with you. And then they go, Mark is amazing. And they tell people you're amazing and you have relationships with them. But they may never have known to find you without the benefit of LinkedIn. So I'm not anti-LinkedIn at all. I simply go back to the people in my life who have Promoted me, who have called me for jobs, who have helped me win awards and honors, are people that I have personal relationships with, yeah. not yeah. computer relationships. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, well, Ellen, I, w- I want to ask one other question um, because I'll, of my own you know, personal, for my own personal benefit, and I know a lot of my listeners are also introverts. Like I'm, it surprises people sometimes, but I am really heavily Myers Briggs introvert. And I know some people discount the Myers Briggs thing, but I, but I think it's helpful in terms of um, yes, I'm I'm an introvert. I, I can be outgoing, but it's tiring. I need to recharge. If we can agree on that definition, what specific tips? I know this is something you write and talk about specific networking tips. I'm using it as a verb. Sorry. What tips do you have? What tips do you have for an introvert about building and maintaining a network?
1: Well, too, and I'm so glad you said that because I am too. And people don't believe it because I seem outgoing. And I've had a career where I have to talk to people I don't know constantly, but it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you. I have to lie down uh, after (laughs) a workday because it's so exhausting to be that outgoing. Uh, and I don't know if you've read the book Quiet by Susan Kane, where she talks about the definition of introverts versus extroverts. And it's basically what you just said, which is, do you gain energy from talking to people or do you lose energy? And it sounds like you and I both lose energy. But
0: I'm not saying this conversation is exhausting. <laughs> I hope it's not for you.
1: <laughs> Thank you. No. It, and, you know, as you as you do things, you get good at them, right? And anything you're good at is easier for you to do. So I'm sure after hosting a lot of podcasts, you it's not doesn't exhaust you as much because you have gotten good at it. And I feel like that for me, I recently spoke at a university and took questions at the end and one of the students raised his hand and said, how can you talk for 45 minutes without looking at your notes? And I said, practice, that is really the only thing. So anything you do a lot, you get good at. So no, I won't take that personally. I think the two biggest things for introverts, my two biggest tips are more what they don't have to do rather than what they should do. Introverts, you do not have to ever call up another person you don't know and have coffee with them. You don't ever have to send another message on LinkedIn to somebody that you're going to have to talk to. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You can just go to work and do your job. The difference is, You need to do your job in the way I describe. You have got to change your orientation in your head as to how to solve the problems of everybody you come in contact with, not just your boss, not just the CEO, but the person down the hall who comes in and says, I can't figure out this report, or could you do so-and-so? Be empathetic. Think about what problem they have, even if you don't have a sparkly, witty interaction if you solve their problem, I redid this chart for you so that it's in the order that shows you by date rather than alphabetically. They will want you in their network. You are a can-do kind of person and you haven't had to have sparkling conversation. Now, conversation helps like in any relationship, but you don't have to talk to new people. These are now people you've already worked with, you've already helped, but by virtue of having solved their problems, they're more predisposed to have a relationship with you. And it's easier to chat. And I will offer a third tip that I think is true for everyone. There's a a trend out there to say in the networking advice world, uh, to say, it's back to the authenticity thing, right? Be vulnerable, tell people what's happening you because that will draw them closer and your relationship will be authentically based. And I suspect that's true, that if you do that, you will deepen a relationship. But not everybody is comfortable, especially introverts, disclosing deeply personal things about themselves. Um, And some people may have had the experience of doing so and then having people question their ability to get their work done with all this horrible stuff going on in the background in their lives. But the topics that I advocate for workplace conversation are around your interests and hobbies, because you are stepping away from work. You are talking about things about yourself, but often they're not deeply personal. You love to go skiing. You fly around the country to see Cheap Trick and concert everywhere they play. You grow prize-winning orchids. And the beauty of that is people tend to remember that stuff. So the next time they see you, they say, how are the orchids? Or did you go to the Cheap Trick concert in Las Vegas? I thought of you. And the beauty of it is for all of us, when we're talking about the things that interest us, we do tend to sparkle. We get excited. We like to tell people about these things. So it makes it an easier conversation. And if you're talking to another introvert, they're going to be grateful to you for that part, too.
0: (laughs) So did we learn today, Ellen, that you are a fan of Cheap Trick?
1: No, we didn't. But I used to work with a guy at USAA who did do that. And it's always stuck in my mind.
0: Well, that was an oddly specific example. I mean, in a fun way.
1: (laughs) 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 I'm sorry. I I said, at least we both know who Cheap Trick is.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw at least the current incarnation of Journey in Las Vegas, probably about eight years ago. And that was that was a good time. So maybe Follow them around some more. But um, our guest today has been um, Ellen Poole. Um, her book, again, is Not Work. Ah, Network is not a verb. Um, I don't know why I tried to turn that into not work. Um, Network is not a verb. And um, you can find it at networkisnotaverb.com. And Ellen is kindly providing a discount code for my audience. If you want to order her book directly from her website, that code is Mark Graben. My name just all. Um, spelled out. So Ellen, thank you. Thank you for offering that. We'll uh, make sure that's in the show notes and I won't mistype it the way I was <laughs> saying it here. But um, Ellen Poole, thank you so much. This was uh, a lot of fun. Thank you for sharing you know, so much with us. And um, I, th- I think it's going to help your network. I know it's helped the audience today.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks again to Ellen for being our guest today. To learn more about her and her book, a link to her website and social media pages and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 211. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems, because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com, and again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.